Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. Proudly hosted by me, Chris Little. Without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to episode 22 of the Lifestyle Chase with the one and only Ryan Jones. How are you doing today? Yeah, not bad. Doing uh, doing pretty good. Weather's uh, pretty Vancouver-like over here today, so... A little gloomy and gray, but uh, all in all, not too not too shabby. Sweet. So, uh, take us through your day today. How did it unfold? Yeah, it's funny. You know, when I was listening to uh, to your other podcast, and you were asking all your your guests the questions, I was I was actually amazed that they were able to to put together a daily uh, routine because my my life is is broken up into kind of three different. Uh, little mini lives, I guess. You got your your out of season, your in season, and your in season day off. So, I guess first my my in season today is was a day off, and it was my son's birthday actually yesterday. So, we had a birthday party for him uh, this morning. Well, sorry, this afternoon. So he got dropped off uh, at school this morning. And then I did a little shopping with my mom, who uh, flew over a couple days ago, picked him up, went to uh, a little jungle gym, chased eight to ten kids around, and now we just come home. We try to get him to relax after a bunch of cake and <laughs> sweets and <laughs> juice and, and get him down uh, for bed usually around 7.30, 8.00. And that's uh, that's my wife and I's kind of quiet time. That's our our time that we we take to enjoy each other and and try to get back to uh, you know a normal equilibrium. Totally. Um, how about let's go through a day where you're you're playing a game in in the day or whatever. Like, how does that day play out? Do you have like a a pregame routine? Do you wake up a certain way? Yeah, for for me, it's sleep as long as I can. Um, I've, uh, you know, my wife's an absolute angel, so she wakes up with the the boys on on most days. Um, you know, it's a little different here where we skate at nine fifteen in the in the morning, so I'm usually up about the same time as them. We get to the arena at about, oh, I'd say eight, and then it's just coffee with the guys try to solve a few world problems while we're uh, waiting for pregame skate go out for about 30 minutes get a sweat on and by the way pregame skate is the it's the most ridiculous old school uh, routine ever it needs to be just gotten rid of but um, <laughs> go out for 30 minutes just to putts around uh, come off solve a few more world problems and then it's uh, pregame meal with the uh, with a few guys back for nap, I usually try to do somewhere between an hour and two hours, kind of depending on how my sleep was the night before. Then I'm up. I grab a bowl of Lucky Charms just because I always have. Um, head to the rink. Uh, try to get there about uh, two and a half, three hours early. And it's taping sticks, mixing your uh, drinks, your supplements together for the game. A little two-touch soccer, and then getting after it. Nice. 
So, uh, as a kid, what was what was growing up and playing hockey and balancing that with life like? Well, it's always interesting because back, uh, I guess I don't, I don't want to say back in the day. I'm not not that old. I didn't grow up that long ago, but I guess just in in the way that I was brought up, hockey wasn't kind of the end all be all for me. Um, I loved it. I played it a lot. I always was doing the road hockey and and other stuff but my parents were always um huge advocates of doing other sports uh i grew up uh my my mom's a big gymnast so i grew up in gymnastics until i was probably six or seven playing soccer playing baseball that didn't last long baseball was too boring um you know i played volleyball until i was 19 uh and so it was just, yeah, it was kind of playing everything. And I think for me, that was huge because just the motor skill learning that you get with, you know, being kind of a multi-sport kid, it's it's so advantageous compared to nowadays you get kids that are just hockey players and that's it. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You just, you learn how to skate and and that's it. Obviously, one out of every million people is or players is going to be Connor McDavid, but there's a lot of kids that specialized and and don't have a whole lot to fall back on that's so true um when you were younger did you ever see yourself being able to play in the nhl was that like just it was do or die or was it just like a happy happy occurrence you know it's it's weird because people have asked me that kind of all along and i try to look back and i you know my parents always told me that when people asked, I would say, yeah, you know, I'm going to play in the NHL or whatever, but I don't specifically remember that being my only goal when I was, when I was younger. I knew um, from a, a fairly young age that I wanted to go to, to university. So the major junior route for me was something that I didn't really pursue. And I kind of got fascinated with the American college um the American college game and everything around it. So that was kind of my first goal. And it took a little bit longer than most kids. Most kids are kind of going to school at, at 18. And I was, you know, the Taco Bell drive through boy at 18. So <laughs> I just, I took, I took the long route to, to get there, but eventually it, it worked out. And, and I don't know, I, it just kind of all the stars aligned for me to, to be able to play in the NHL and to get to do what I do. And it, it was kind of weird looking back, but everything just kind of fell together. And so like you, you went to school while you're ramping up to, to get to the NHL, right? So like, did you, do you have like a degree or? Yep. Yep. So I went to, I went to school. I graduated with a kinesiology degree and a business management minor. So I went, I went all four years, and then I came out of Miami University, signed with Minnesota, traded to Nashville. Yeah, but that's like I like that approach. Yeah, so that's like the, yeah. the more sustainable way of having a career because you never never know what'll happen, and we'll allude to that later, obviously. But it's just it's such a responsible way to uh, to progress through a professional sports career. Yeah, exactly. And the, the, I think that as at least with Canadians, when you have this major junior opportunity, there's such a push for kids to 
at 16 and 17 just okay you're are you going to play hockey or are you not going to play hockey you know there's no uh, we don't as Canadians allow kids to mature enough to allow them to make an educated decision and you know how you were and I know how I was at 16 somebody's like okay do you want to play heck yeah I want to play hockey you know and then you get to 19 or 20 and somebody's like well do you want to get an education that might set you up at the same time it's like well it's too late for me fortunately for some reason that decision was was kind of made for me fairly early and I was fortunate enough I don't know what percentage of of players that play uh, in the NHL have a degree but I would say it's it's fairly small yeah and when I chose kinesiology it was just it was something I was like I want to know what's going on with my body if I do get hurt you know if something is going on I want to have some basic knowledge of how I might be able to better help myself without at least at first having to seek someone to to do that for me yeah have you had moments where that kinesiology background did help you in your career like just profound moments like holy shit i'm glad i did that (laughs) there's been a few things where like there's stuff going on and you're you're like oh man this is exactly what's going on okay i know i and i might be able to to help this out a little bit here but most of the calm most of the time it comes up when you're you know like i said solving world problems in the locker room and someone's like oh this is why this is happening you're like well actually you know that's awesome the other day we had a debate there yeah there was a guy at the back of the bus we were on the way to a game and it was maybe a two-hour bus ride and the game was let's say at four o'clock so at noon he was sitting in the back and he was just mowing a steak and he's one of those guys he's never wrong and he he was like, oh yeah, this is the best thing you can do. You, you know, it's like it's gonna give me energy. And I'm like, ah, oh, you're so full of it. You don't even know. You know how long that thing's gonna sit in your stomach for? He's like, oh, it's only there for like an hour, and then it's gone. <laughs> Dude, do you want an education right now? Because I'll give you one. And he's like, well, just because you read it one time doesn't mean you're right. I'm like. Oh, what a way to go through life, you know? <laughs> Just because you read it somewhere doesn't mean it's right. So, yeah, we went through it, and I'm like, all right, okay, here, I'll, I'll Google it just to show you. And he's like, oh, man, wow. So it's kind of funny, you know, just to, just to be able to lean back on that. Totally. And then with, like, your, your other schooling, can you see yourself benefiting from that in the future, or have you benefited from that already? Yeah, that's, uh, uh, I think about four or five years ago, um, kind of when the, the market took a little bit of a turn, I was looking at, at my accounts like everybody else, and I'm like, oh man, this this sucks. So I started talking to some friends, and uh, they brought up some, some real estate stuff. And so oh, five years ago, I, I dipped the, the toe into real estate, and you know, one once I put my toe in, I kind of went in head first. So we, my wife and I have accumulated some real estate in uh, Minneapolis, uh, northeast Minneapolis. And that's kind of something that I'm going to pursue when, when things are all said and done. And whether that pulls me away from, you know, what my, 
degree is in is yet to be seen, but I probably am not going to be using my kinesiology degree too much other than to prove I'm right in a few arguments here or there. It counts, it counts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every time you can tick one off your right, it's it's a bonus, right? Yeah. So uh, growing up, uh, or actually, no, I'll switch gears here. Getting into the NHL, what were three things that described that moment when you knew that you were going to be playing the big show? Oh, wow. That's a tough question. Um, yeah, I think, uh, no, first was my obviously happiness. Um, you know, not just, just for me, but for the people who had sacrificed a lot for me to be able to, to play hockey, you know, my family, um, you know, my pops, he, he drove an hour and a half back and forth to work when I was uh, when I was younger and, and that was all basically just so I could continue to, to play. So, um, there was, there was that, there was a satisfaction of being able to get to call him and, and tell him and call my mom and call my brother and, and be able to tell them that, you know, I'd made the, the team. And then there was just that huge relief that everything that you had worked for and everything that you had sacrificed and, and put into trying to get to that ultimate goal, just coming to fruition. And, and that was probably the biggest emotion was just almost a sigh of relief that, all right, let's just build from here. Um, but yeah, there's, it's, it's really hard to describe it. Um, <laughs> it's pretty sweet. I'll say that. Yeah. And that exemplifies it pretty good. So you have one brother and your parents like that. That's yep. your family. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Older, older brother. So this next uh, question for you, you're going to describe your parents and then your brother, each one of them one at a time and describe three qualities that you really like admire about them. Okay. Well, uh, we'll start, I guess, with with my pop since I already uh, talked about him. For me, the biggest thing from him is his selflessness. Um, you know, my my parents split when I was seven, um, and my mom ended up out in British Columbia. So for for him, uh, from that point on, everything that he did was for my brother and I, and to see what he sacrificed now that I'm older and I'm able to look back and think, Oh man, you know, like my father didn't get to experience this because, you know, he was raising two kids by himself. That's, that's a big eye opener and something that at the time I wish I appreciated a little more so that I could tell him, but, uh, you know, I try to try to remind him, uh, uh, um, as much as I possibly can without swelling his head, uh, too much. Uh, the other thing about him is is how hardworking he is. I I just remember talking to him, and he he has his passions, his gardening and stuff like that. And that freaking guy, he would just he he wouldn't stop until it was done. The gardening, the pool, everything that he did um, was just hundred percent or nothing. And he used to always say that to my brother and I. Um, it was just like if you're gonna do something, just 
do it to your full ability at least then you can look back at it and say all right i gave it my all if i didn't accomplish it well then i can learn from there if i if i do accomplishment then i'm you know, fulfilling something um so I get two or three there. No, two. And then the other one, and I always think of this as my dad is his chivalry. He's a guy. Um, he's so polite. He, he's always opening doors for women. He'll, he's a guy who walks around the car, has to open the door. He's pulling chairs out. And he's so old school when it comes to that. And I specifically remember seeing this stuff, uh, watching him as – as a kid and it's it's cool because it's rubbed off on me to a certain extent it's almost like a lost art nowadays and and it he was yeah he was a pretty sweet dude that's awesome um yeah and then i guess you know for for my mom my mom was a police officer uh in my hometown and she's tiny she's like five foot three you know and i always saw my mom as this little badass um you know she was tackling these like grown men she's you know taking on all these people and she's just a half bite little person you know and at the same time she's a marathon runner and so you know if for her just like <laughs> i'm gonna make up a word her badassedness um <laughs> <laughs> and then it her her commitment and her hard work to her passions too like her marathon running is something that she's been passionate about forever and it's uh for for me to look at that it's you know it's the little lessons that you learn just from watching your parents that was definitely uh one that I picked up from from her, and then the other thing was just seeing how small she was and everything that she accomplished. Like her size doesn't define her in anything. She'll go into the gym and she she is lifting like she's five hundred pounds. She doesn't care if you get in her way. She's like, get out of my way, you know. And so she doesn't. She's just a determined person. I think I got three for her. Yeah, it sounds there's great. lots for my parents, so I'd try to keep it as <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's my brother. I mean, I guess for him it's probably the the three things that I learned not to do. But uh uh he uh I mean he made me who I am. Um and I didn't quite appreciate what I had in him until again I got a little bit older. Because him and I just used to kick the crap out of each other. Um, it was always me trying to keep up to to him because he was the bigger brother. At least for the first 12 years of, of our life, he was the big kid. I was a small kid. And then I hit a growth spurt and he kind of stayed small. And it switched. But that's didn't, that didn't stop him from kicking the crap out of me all the time. Um <laughs> He's, he's somebody I wasn't, uh, Oh, I was, I was close in that we would play together. But then when we hit that age, when you got to decide who your friends were, it was like him and I didn't want anything to do with each other. So from a side, I could tell that I had his protection from the older kid, maybe in high school. Um, 
but we weren't we were kind of done with each other from say 13 to 19 and then when he left for university i think that that's what when we realized how close we really were and we just i mean we're absolutely best friends we talk two three times a week just about everything but the the three qualities that that i admire from him his loyalty especially with his family he is he's probably the most loyal person that that i know he buys everybody from fifth cousins to nephews to whatever everybody gets a birthday present just because he wants them to know that he loves them and he wants them to know that like he doesn't forget them that's just Whereas I'm on the other hand, like I got some cousins that I haven't talked to that I was close to when I was young. And it's just because I don't, <laughs> I've grown apart from them in a sense um, where he just doesn't allow that to happen. Um, and his, the other thing is he is so smart. He's a, he's a computer uh, science guy. He works for the, the Toronto star in their mobile development. And he's, hundred times smarter than I'll ever be. He's talking computer code and C plus plus stuff. And I'm like, dude, I got no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> like I, th- I think the number sign is, is a hashtag now. And I said that to him the other day. He's like, you're an idiot. Like, what do you mean? Isn't that what it, nobody uses a number sign other than as a hashtag, right? So true. So, um, uh, and I guess the other thing from him is just his his like spontaneity. He, he he'll call and he'll be like, "All right, uh, I kind of want to come to Germany next week," and he'll just up and do it. You know, he's uh, he's created a job for himself and which allows him, but also you know that takes a little bit of guts to to be able to do that. I'm more of a like kind of have to schedule everything and set things up, whereas. He's just ready to up up and go. Whatever he thinks is fun, he's ready. That's awesome. Uh, the second part of yeah. this is uh, thinking about yourself and like how how you you'll raise your offspring. Um, what are three qualities that you would take from like your parents and your brother and implement into into your kid's life? Hmm. Man, that's like we're getting deep here. Damn right. Uh, um, yeah. Um, I guess you know, from from my dad, um, I like I would love for them to just see and and grow up and have that sort of that sacrifice in them, where they understand from as early of an age as possible that not everything is about them and that's hard like i got a five-year-old and a two and a half year old and you know it's it's hard to tell them hey listen you know like with my older guy's birthday today my young guy's like well daddy santa didn't bring me presents today like all right dude well one it's not christmas two it's not your birthday today is about your brother um but just for them to be able to understand you know like to make other people happy and to sacrifice for other people and do things for other people to allow them to further, um, to, to be able to accomplish more, uh, um, 
is as satisfying as being able to do it yourself. Um, and that's, that's one thing again, I'd like, I wish I would have learned that from dad at, uh, at an earlier age, you know, from, from my mom, other than her sick, uh, aerobic capacity, I, you know, like hopefully they, they get her what I call bad acidness, just this, you know, don't let anything stop you. If you want something, do it. Don't, it's not cause you're small. It's not cause this person is, you know, bigger, better, whatever, go through them, just find a way to get it done and do it. And then I guess, you know, from my, from my brother, his loyalty, um, to me, that's a characteristic that I think as a family, we all have, um, but him, he just has it to that, to that other level. And if, if they could have that and just be loyal to their family and, and the people that are surrounding them, um, I, you know, those three, I think would be a great, at least base for them to be solid human beings. I like those. Those are good answers. We're going to back out of the rabbit hole a little bit here. Um, go and talk about Oilers a bit now. And mm-hmm. I I did a bit of a survey on some of the people that follow me on Instagram and just asking what they would want to, to know from you. And, and most of the questions were like typical questions that a person would ask a player that, that moved to Europe. So I'm going to ask some of the more interesting ones. When you're giving cool. autographs, do you still ask for cookies or hugs? Oh, you know, I, I did kind of give that up. Um, it's, uh, when I came over here, the autographs went down to probably 1% of what they were back home. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I was over here, I'd probably have to ask for schnitzel and hugs. You don't see too many, too many cookies around (laughs) <laughs> and I don't know how bad I want to eat leftover schnitzel, but, uh, no, I, I kind of, I dropped that. Um, uh, but man, that's, that was a good reminder. I forgot about that. That was a good time of my life getting yeah. cookies for autographs. Well, it's neat. I, I have access to a lot of your biggest fans and like even myself, like when, when I was following the Oilers, when you were playing for them, you were my favorite one. It was just your your ability to relate to your fans. And honestly, when people interviewed you, I was always laughing. It was just like, this person is real. Whereas like you get some of the top draft picks and they're full of themselves and nobody wants yeah. that. Yeah. That was one thing. Like I, I don't know where I got it from and I probably got it from my parents and it was just the acknowledgement that everybody is, everybody is human and everybody has the same basic wants and whatever and just because i was able to accomplish getting to the nhl doesn't make me better by any means than any other person in the world i just you know and i i to a degree i get annoyed talking hockey with people who are like oh yeah i was supposed to be in the nhl but i rolled my ankle and the coach hates me i'm like yeah you know like that's 99 percent of canadians but at the, the same time, there's a certain degree of that that's the truth. And in in my education and stuff, you learn about this self-fulfilling prophecy and all that stuff. And you're like, man, what if I was just on the right side of that prophecy? 
What if I was just the kid who was getting the extra attention and not necessarily the most skilled kid? What if Joe Smith was supposed to be that kid or he was a better hockey player? He could be here and I could be a fan. So it's just, I always put myself in that situation. I was like, interact with people like your equals because you are. That's a good rule to have. I think that's something that I can really relate to. Like, just be a human being. Yeah, exactly. Like, nothing. And there's a lot of really, really good people uh, in the NHL that I've come across. But there are there are some jackasses too, and that's that's hard. And those jackasses give kind of the majority of guys a bad name. So I think for me, it was really important just to to be relatable because. Like I said, you're maybe one coach away from not being there. Yep. Um, so one of my uh, cousin-in-laws still has your jersey, so he was pretty pumped about you. And I know quite a few people are still wearing your jersey uh, at Rogers Place today. Like, you'll go to a game today, and you'll see some Jones 28 jerseys. Uh, what was your favorite thing about living in Edmonton playing for the Oilers? Oh, that's, that's, that's tough. That's tough. There were so many things for me. I think Edmonton allowed me to combine a lot of my passions, um, while living in one place, you know, I'm big outdoors guy. So for me to be able to, uh, in my spare time, I didn't have the kids at the time to go sit in a deer stand and, and just enjoy enjoy that that peace and quiet with no expectations and no stress that was huge if i didn't have that uh, at that point in my life i i don't know how things uh would have turned out um obviously the hockey was uh an insane benefit of of living in edmonton i'm really i mean there's there isn't much for me to uh to complain about in my time there that's that's for sure but i i would have to say the best part was just yeah being able to combine a lot of stuff that i loved having it all in edmonton yeah and that's a good answer and it's a perfect segue because uh my oldest brother he actually hunts quite a bit and like when we would discuss like which player's jersey would you get kind of thing and he was always ah, i i could go for a jones jersey he hunts i think he's good shit so what is what what are five things that you enjoy thoroughly about going hunting? Like what what are like the the things that are non-negotiables, things that really mean a lot to you? Uh I mean that that peace and quiet, that's the biggest thing. You know, I sat uh I sat in the stand a lot of hours and didn't see animals and and was just happy to be there um you know i i'd be lying if i said that that the expectations and the stress of playing in edmonton didn't weigh heavy on me at times and that was something that allowed me to kind of be away from it uh being able to provide for for your family and it sounds weird in in the time that we're in to to say that because you can go to the grocery store and you can buy your family whatever you want but knowing that if something was to happen and that wasn't there that i would be able to provide uh 
the art of processing. I don't want to sound like Dexter here, but it's <laughs> almost like an art to be able to take a deer that you harvested and, and hand your friend a, a pack of deer jerky. He's like, oh, dude, who did that? And you're like, homie, I did that. You know, like I made that. I threw it on the smoker or whatever. They're damn, that's good. Like that's that's pretty uh, pretty satisfying um, to hear that the camaraderie that that comes with hunting. That uh, Steve McIntyre was a guy that I hunted with quite a bit. Louis DeBrusque, uh, I hunted with a lot. My relationship with with Louis uh, developed out of hunting. And that's something that I, I cherish a lot. Louis Louis a guy that I talk to still to this to this day, and I man I love the conversations that we have. Louis a down to earth guy. He's always got me laughing. There's the guys that I met up uh, in in northern Edmonton. Um, sorry, one sec. My five year old's coming to give me a hug. I love you. Um, the guys that I met in northern Edmonton that I still talk about uh, this day. Those are lifelong friendships that I, that I made through, through hunting. Um, did I get five? <laughs> You're close enough. If that's all you got, I'm good with that. Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's so much, I feel like I combined everything um, into one. And I guess for me, the, the other thing is, um, and again, not to be too Dexter, like is, but to be intelligent and strategic enough to be able to harvest an animal in their own environment, um, a lot goes into it. And I, I understand people on the other side um, that are, let's say, against hunting. Um, I can I can understand that, and I respect their opinion for sure. But for me to to look at a map of a property of land and be like oh man there's 300 acres like where am i gonna sit where the hell are these deer gonna go and when a plan kind of comes together it's yeah it's a great feeling that's awesome those are really good answers um and you even did another awesome segue uh when it comes to playing in edmonton what's what's the hardest part particularly when it comes to media coverage yeah i think I think it's the you just said is it's the media coverage and it's the fan pressure. Um, I'm not a person at any point uh, before being in Edmonton that that would have said that I allowed people's opinions to affect the way that I that I feel. And then you know I started getting into Twitter. I thought it was another way for me to interact with fans, another way for me to. Um, be kind of that down-to-earth guy that I like to be. And for every five positive comments, you'd get five that were like, you know, Jones, you suck, you're a piece of shit. You know, and it's just like, it's hard to to read through that to get to the positive ones, to interact with the positive uh, fans without having that affect you to some degree. And by the time that I left Edmonton and had deleted uh, Twitter, it was just it was too much for me. I, I couldn't I couldn't handle it uh, anymore. And I, I'm actually glad that I'm acknowledged 
that and and got rid of Twitter. I thought it would be hard, but looking back, it's probably the best decision that I ever made um, was to was to get rid of Twitter and not allow those people to have uh, an impact on my emotional state. And that's like that's profound because I don't think anybody's ever actually called out the fact that like hockey players they're they're professionals they get paid a lot but they're still human beings and if you talk enough trash to them like that's going to affect the outcome of their play. For sure, and you have guys like, uh, for example, that Paul B. Sinet, you know, guys who can handle that and just say, "Hey, f you," you know, look at your nose. Hey, f you. Like, I checked out your girlfriend. She's ugly. She's a two. That's not me. You know, I'm not. Somebody says something to me. I'm not going to go and dig into their history to try to belittle them more. Um, you know, I do think the dehumanization of athletes in general is is something it's it goes on all the time and it's sad like you people talk about this cyber bullying now it just it happens on a huge scale all the time to professional athletes and you're expected to look at it and just look past it and i don't want to be this like soft guy to say it but if i went to anybody's life and five thousand times a day just was in their ear and was like, hey, you're a piece of shit. Hey, what you just did was stupid. Hey, by the way, this young guy is better than you. It would have an impact on on their life. No matter who you are, how mentally strong you are, it just does. And it's it's sad that at times it takes something so drastic for people to realize that athletes, and I'll just say hockey players, to for the whole grand scheme as as athletes, for hockey players to to be human, you know, for a hockey player to get cancer or something like, uh, Davidson, you know, when I was there, people are like, shit, you know, this, this guy's human. Like he's got cancer. He's dealing with human stuff. Oh shit. This guy's wife's going through something, you know? Oh, and then you have people that are like, screw it. I don't care that his wife's, you know, just lost her kid or whatever. He's got to play. He's got to score. He's got to do whatever. It's like, you know, it's it's just sad that that has to happen for people to take a step back and be like, damn, you know, these guys, they're humans, too. I agree. Totally. Um, has there ever been a time where like a fan that was at a game, like, could you hear the fan? Did that affect you or is it mostly like the, the social media and all that stuff? No, mostly mostly the social media. Like I, I can I can't think of a single time uh, where I heard something when I was on the ice or in the stands or whatever that, um, that affected me in that moment, you know, even walking back to the dressing room at, at the, the old rec hall where there were people in the, um, uh, tunnel there, you know, I was fortunate that to, to be fairly well liked that nobody, uh, said anything, um, there, but you know, out, out when you're out in the city and stuff like that, people got no shame and, coming up and saying, Hey, you know, this is how you should run the the power play. Hey, you know, like, is everything okay with you? Like you're not playing great. It's kind of like screw off, man. I'm trying to have dinner here with, with my wife. I don't need to be, to be degraded while I'm out here. People are pretty messed so that, up. That did. Oh yeah. And it's, uh, you know what they say about opinions, right? So, and, and there, there, 
for for the most part, people are awesome. Ninety nine percent of Edmonton fans are great, but there are that. I'm not even going to say that. I would say Canadian cities, ninety percent of fans are great. You have ten percent of fans that are maybe they're the people who think that they should have made it, and they're blowing out your candle to try to make theirs brighter. I I don't know, but it it's real. Like it's it has an impact on guys, and I I guarantee that there's guys in Edmonton's lineup Vancouver Ottawa Toronto there's guys who are dealing with it right now well you can even transfer that to any career like uh for for myself the fitness industry is pretty competitive like um for for people just in anything where you have to be at the at the top to sort of make a living of it people are going to uh Mm -hmm. try to cut other people down Oh, for sure. And, and that's one thing that like, I, I will never live my life like that. And if I ever hear one of my kids do that, that's like instant life lesson. Um, if somebody has to, and I use the candle, uh, reference, but if somebody has to put other people down to make themselves, uh, feel better, that person just isn't worth the time for me. Agreed. And I, I understand critiquing people and constructive criticisms awesome i mean how do you learn how do you get better without constructive criticism but there is a definitive line between putting somebody down for the sake of making yourself look better and putting somebody down or critiquing them to build them up um that's that's very very evident and and yeah i I, that's one of my life pet peeves is is people who do that yeah so as far as obstacles go, what was the toughest part about the lockout for you? <sighs> Probably my injury, yeah. um, my eye injury, which has been fairly well documented. Um, for the for the most part, the lockout for me was was cool. Um, I had some offers to go play in Russia and to play elsewhere. Uh, but my wife was pregnant with my first child at the time. I didn't, I didn't really want to leave her, and I wasn't really sure at the timing of of when the lockout would be done. Nor was anybody. Um, but I, I, you know, I got to hunt a lot. I got to be um, kind of a normal person in Edmonton at a time when normally I would wouldn't be going out on the too much. So I loved it, and then when we hit uh december and there was no end in sight uh my wife and i decided to go back to minnesota it was getting pretty chilly in uh in edmonton and our families were starting to plan christmas so we decided to uh head back to to minnesota and i was skating with with a really really awesome group of nhl guys at the time with phenomenal skates and training and all that and then New Year's New Year's Eve it was. I took the the puck to the eye in training, and that kind of sent the the career in a different direction. But uh, <laughs> yeah, if I would have just thrown a visor on, yeah, if I would have just worn a visor, who knows? But you can't look back on that stuff. But it's a good lesson. Like as, as much as it sucks to be giving out lessons to people. It speaks to the importance of, hey, like, throw your ego to the side, put on a visor, because, like, fluky shit happens. Yeah, exactly. I look back now, and I'm just like, man, what was I I not wearing a visor for in the first place? 
I didn't I didn't fight much until after the accident, and the only reason I was fighting was to try to stay in the NHL. I had maybe four fights before that, and the guys that I was fighting all had visors on anyway. So who, who am I trying to prove that I'm tough to? You know, was it to look cool? I I don't know. Was it? Uh, superstitious because I was having good years with it off, maybe, but yeah, it's it was dumb, and now I'm glad that that rules in. It's just it's so much better. Um, these guys can hopefully avoid what uh, what I went through, um, but at the same time, that injury led to some other awesome opportunities, like coming over here, and. Uh, as weird as it is to say, looking back, I wouldn't change it. I mean, it's it's made me who I am. It's made my family who we are. And who knows, if that accident didn't happen, something else crazy might have happened. So in the grand scheme of things, I'm glad that it was something on that scale instead of whatever else it could have been. <laughs> Agreed. And, like, I think what I look for in a guest is, like, somebody that can actually just roll with the punches. Because shit's going to happen to people. Like People are going to have things that happen to them that's tough to, to work with. And to have like these coping strategies or positive attitudes to actually move forward is empowering for us, makes us better people. Oh, yeah, exactly. Adaptability is probably one of the best characteristics a, a person can have because you can lay out a plan as as you know black and white and up like every minute that you possibly can is there's going to be a wrench thrown in there at some point and if you can't adapt you're screwed and i mean that's all aspects of of life could you imagine your line of work you have a workout routine plan all of a sudden you have a client come in and they're like oh man you want to know what like i got a i got a little bit of a sore back and you're like well damn my whole work you're might as well go home i can't, <laughs> I can't train you you gotta you got a sore back this was your plan you were gonna squat and lunge and do everything today you can't do that with your back just go home by the way you gotta pay me you wouldn't have a job very long no with uh with being a dad did that role come fairly easily to you? Oh, I'd love to say, yeah, it was just super easy and being a parent's the easiest thing in the world. But I mean, any, any parent, any dad knows that it's a massive transition. It, and it's cliche to say, but having kids really was the greatest thing that ever happened. I mean, I lost a lot of my own free time, but also it taught me that that, that selflessness. I, I went through life the first, I don't know, when, when I had my son, I'm three, you know, I went through 28, 29 years of my life worrying about one person, you know, and, and really that's kind of what a lot of people do. You're like, hey, I got to keep myself alive, you know, at the same time, you're trying to accomplish your goals and they're your goals and, and stuff like that. Then all of a sudden you have a kid and you're like, oh man. No, I don't, I'm not worried about myself. Every decision that you make, you're like, okay, I got to do this. Oh, but how does that affect my kid? Um, so that took a little bit of getting used to was that now I'm trying to keep this creature alive, um, which isn't an easy task, especially when you add a second one. But yeah, I would just, 
I watched people. I, I, I talked to people. There were guys on the team who, who had kids. I paid attention to their relationships, what I liked about how they parented, maybe what I didn't like. And I tried to put that into my own style of, of parenting. And at the same time, I mentioned earlier, like my wife is, she's a saint. So, uh, she does 80% of, of the parenting just because of the schedule I have. And I've, she made the the transition a lot easier than I'm sure it would have been by myself. That's awesome. When you're communicating with, uh, German players on the team, like, is that, pretty tough like have you picked up on some german what what do you do to like get your message across if they don't have much for english they're all english oh, okay <laughs> the locker room's english we've had we've had an english coach up until we just got this czech coach but i would say that i'm 70 percent fluent german i've been here five years now so i understand a lot um, I need a beer or two to really open up and start talking. But uh, as far as hockey and everything goes, I uh, yeah, I can I can get along really well. Perfect, perfect. But if I yeah, they, yeah, like I said, they're all they're English. They're all one hundred percent fluent in English. Well, that works out. And like, oftentimes we we lose sight of the fact that so. So many other countries actually speak way more languages than we do in North America. Oh, yeah. Could you imagine if, like, uh, if Alberta had a language, BC had a language, Saskatchewan had a language, and you were like, oh, shit, I got to travel. Like, or these people, you're, they're always interacting. Well, you pick up on their, their language. That's what it's like over here. You know, you got, you got Germany, you got France, you have Poland, you have Sweden, Norway, all these countries, like you can hit a driver to, to another country. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Maybe not me. I would hit the one that's way off to the right, but (laughs) some people could hit a driver there. Totally. Um, you have some like former Oilers playing with you. Yeah. We have Corey Potter. Yep. What's it like playing with him? Uh, it's cool. You know, Patsy and I were were really close. We we had kind of our group of four guys. There was Patsy, uh, Jeff Petrie, Devin Dubinick, and and myself. And at the time, we were all guys that were kind of in the same situation. We weren't the older guys that had been there through that Cup Finals run, and we weren't these young superstars that were were in there. Um, we were kind of these tweener uh, guys, and we all kind of grasped onto each other. And when Potsy was uh, looking to make the transition, I was in his ear as much as I possibly could about coming over here. And he's got a, a daughter that's a year older than my oldest, and he's got another daughter that's a year older than my youngest. And our wives are best friends, so it was just an awesome transition for him to come over here. And we're neighbors, and we hang out all the time, and him and I probably have a few too many beers and try to solve too many world problems for, for our own uh, intelligence. But uh, it's great to have him here. That's and then awesome. I forgot we have uh, uh, Pinzato too, who spent a little bit of time in in Edmonton. He's unfortunately been hurt a bunch this year and and hasn't been around uh, the group as much as he would probably like. But he's a solid, solid cat. He's tough as nails. He's scares the shit out of a lot of uh a lot of german guys in this league that's for sure (laughs) 
So what was it like to have like the boys from Edmonton come for that exhibition game? It was cool. It was really cool. You know, I think uh, there was more put into it uh, as far as me playing the Oilers than than needed to be. Um, I think just being able to have an NHL over NHL team over here competing. We had that German connection with with Reader and and Drysital. Um, yeah, it was awesome. I got to see the Nuge again, who was a kid that, that lived with me uh, when he was he was a rookie, and he's obviously gone a long way. And and the trainers and medical staff are all guys that were there when I was there. So it was cool to to get them here, have them see kind of what uh, what I'm going through on a, a daily basis, and yeah, just get to see those guys in person again. It was it was awesome. We shared a lot of old memories and. Uh, at least we put up a fight um, in that game. If I just could have scored, it maybe have been a different story. But I think the outcome was the absolute best that it that it could have been because you don't want a German team beating an NHL team because it's not good for for anybody. NHL teams are obviously of higher quality. Um, so you never want people being like, oh, the German league is as good because the Kanahaya beat the Oilers. That's not it. But for us, we were able to put up a fight, entertain our fans, and, and show that we do have a quality league over here. That's awesome. What was it like living with the Nuge? Hey, he, was, he was young, so he was a quiet kid. You know, you're, we're teaching him how to do his laundry and and stuff like that he uh unfortunately i couldn't turn him into a hunter but uh he's uh he's a very very quality human being um that's one thing that i could tell uh instantly from him was that he was he was salt of the earth kind of guy given an unbelievable skill set in the, in the game. And, and he was going to be around for a while because he wasn't going to waste it. I love it. He, he seems like a good person. Like I don't obviously know too much, but yeah, he seems, seems like a stand up guy. Yeah. He, he's an awesome dude. So this was one of the most common questions when I asked some of my people that were fans of you. And it was like, I, I thought, couldn't you come up with better questions? But this is what it was. What are three differences in playing in Europe versus playing in North America? Well, the biggest one is the size of the ice. Um, and that kind of leads into a whole bunch of other differences. Um, but you know, there's a lot more time and space. You add a few meters to the width and it totally changes the distance behind the net and outside the dots. It just changes the dynamic of the game. And I think people saw that when Connor was here. You know, Connor loves to play on the walls and he can beat people wide and then cut to the net. But here, you know, when he was on the walls and he was trying to cut to the net, that was a whole nother, say, 10 meters where our defense know that they just have to stay on the dot line and and ride him back, and that doesn't allow him to get to the net. And without a doubt, he would learn the game extremely well and use that extra space to his advantage, but not in the one time that he he had it. It was just way too much space. 
Um, it's less physical. I think that has to do with less space too, uh, or sorry, more space guys. Just it's, it's another two, three strides to hit someone. You're out of position. It's not part of the game over here. Add that to fighting. You know, we might see three, four fights a, a year and it's mostly just North American guys fighting each other. Um, and then the other thing is the, the crowd, uh, they're just they're soccer fans they stand up the whole time they're shouting they're chanting they have songs for different guys and it's it's fun to play in front of when when it's full we unfortunately have like 19,000 person stadium and we'll get 13,000 so it can feel a little empty but when that place is rocking it's it's loud have you ever been able to ham it up with the fans yeah yeah quite a bit nice. um you know, kind of the same same interactions with these fans as as Edmonton. I, you know, they're a lot more shy over here, and a lot more they don't care as much about how. I'm not going to say that the ones that care have insane passion, but there's not as many. You know, yeah. the nineteen thousand people, we might have four times that in fans. Whereas Edmonton, you get nineteen thousand people, but you have a million and a half fans. So there's not as many to bump into and interact and, and all that. So I'd say just because of those numbers, there's fewer interactions. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so I think I have seen in a picture that you have at least one tattoo. Am I correct? I have a few. All right. Yeah. Tell us about them. No, one, two, three. Oh, yeah, I got. I started out with the family name on on my back, just the Jones in the old English script, which turned into the full family crest, which both my brother and I have. It's like the Welsh family Jones crest. My grandfather used to have that um, picture framed in his house and it was something that he was just super proud of he was proud to have the name and have come over from, from wales and uh for us it was just a great way to to have that family um on us um i got i let's call it a half sleeve i call it kind of my christian sleeve i got a cross with wings and then um Matthew seventeen twenty scripture underneath because I know you're going to ask me what it is. It's uh, the mustard seed quote, and if you don't know what that is, then it's because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth: if you tell this mountain to move from here to there, it will. Nothing's impossible for you, and that's my favorite scripture, just because in the Christian belief, it kind of lays it out there. Like if you have the, then nothing is impossible for you. But outside of that, just in general, like if you have belief in something strong enough, then whatever that is, won't be impossible for you. Um, and I try not to push too much, uh, religion, but I have that tattoo just so that when people see me, if they see, me in a short sleeve or whatever, they understand that I have those beliefs in me. 
Um, and then I have two ankle ones. Um, I have the Trinity, which is the three phases of God, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Left ankle is the ichthus fish. That's the, the Jesus Greek fish. And then on my inside right bicep, I have the seal for um, where I went to school, the Miami University seal, um, just because that was a big part of my life. That was four years where, you know, I met my wife. I got a degree. I played some amazing hockey, made some amazing friends. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, that's all of it. That's awesome. And it actually ties into like yeah. something that inspired me when I was younger and looking to get a tattoo was I thought about some of the people that I looked up to and you, you were one of them. So that's an exciting part of you being on my podcast, but I had seen your, uh, your tattoo with the script on your arm and it's cool because I couldn't really make out what it said, but ironically what I got on my arm, mm -hmm. it's not the same thing. I'll, I'll, uh, pop that balloon right away, but it's, uh, it's a Terry Fox quote and it's, I know that cool. you can do the impossible. And just hearing what yours said, I was like, holy shit, like, I, I got it close. I was close. And just to make it look cool, I got it done yeah. in the Elvish Elvish font, but just English writing, so it just has that, like, look to it. But neat. Yeah. That's awesome. I think, I think for me, tattoos have always been, like, one, they're a reminder to yourself, but also it's to show people without everybody having to ask you all the time what you believe, what drives you, what whatever, that kind of shows them a piece. And if, you know, they see your tattoo, they're like, holy, that's one motivated mofo. Like, this guy, he's got some heart, you know? Yeah, and I, I really respect, like, your, your reasoning and your choices for your pieces so that's awesome and like a fun fact that a lot of fans might not know about yeah i don't usually peel my shirt off around too many fans i don't want them to to think that that's what hockey players look like yeah no that's fair very very fair <laughs> <laughs> all right so we're going to the the final the finisher question and i'm sure you've caught on what it is are you ready i'm ready so if you were to give one piece of advice to our listeners on how to authentically live your life to the fullest, what would that piece of advice be? Oh, um, I guess, I guess for me, it would be, oh, I want to know what I was thinking. I, I've heard it before on your podcast, but uh, I would have to say just to be you, but not, not only be you, but be the best you, um, don't allow other people to push you in a direction that maybe you're not wanting to go. Um, it's for me, it's totally okay to allow people to help you and push you in a direction that's going to make you a better person. Um, but when you truly believe something and when you truly want something, don't allow other people to influence you in a way that isn't in line with what you truly want. Um, and at the same time, while you're doing it, do it to your complete fullest. 
so that at least when you look back, you can say, I gave it my all. Um, I, I failed, but I know that I failed in doing everything that I could. And that in itself, I, I, I can't stress enough. I failed a lot in life, but as long as I can look back at those circumstances and say that I gave that my all, I can live with that. The scenarios and my biggest regrets are always situations where I maybe didn't push myself to the extreme that I know that I have and failed because those what ifs, they, they eat away at you. And sometimes they define who you are when things are all said and done. So, yeah, be you and be the best you. That's awesome advice. Thanks for joining me today, and uh, have a good one. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Yeah.